We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Unfound thanks its supporters at PayPal, Patreon, and YouTube. On this episode, I talk about the Netflix Jill Dando murder series. I discuss the recent Amelia Earhart news. I detail school students identifying a killer. And I cover a bunch of other stuff, including my disc golf weekend. I'm Ed Dunsell, and this is Unfound Live for February 5th, 2024. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unfound Live for February 5th, 2024. I hope everybody is doing well out there. I have a fantastic show for you tonight. Allow me to uh, tell you what's on the agenda. Of course, some of you maybe probably already saw the title for uh, the tonight's live show. Uh, we're going to be talking. Uh, I watched this uh, series on Netflix about the murder of Jill Dando, a very well-known reporter in England, England that is still unsolved, whatever, 20 years later. I want to talk a little bit about that. I think maybe there, was, there are some things about her murder that is still unsolved that we can apply to disappearances. also want to talk about uh, this new Amelia Earhart uh, news, uh, has her plane been found on the bottom of the Pacific ocean? And of course, uh, that, uh, is, uh, right in our wheelhouse for unfound of disappearances. I have another panky letter to, uh, read to all of you once again, unopened. If you can't sell, tell that got the blur on there, but this uh, letter, once again, I don't know what it says. We're all going to find out at the same time. Once again, I'll read it first after I open it, see if it's appropriate. But so we got another um, panky letter to read. I received it since last week. And uh, also, I want to talk to you a little bit. Uh, one other thing that's on the agenda big time is uh, that there will be big, uh, not necessarily unfound news, but by the time we get together this time next week, there will be a huge reveal on a disappearance that Unfound has covered. And so I'll talk about that a little bit uh, more in a bit. So that's um, some of the agenda. Got some, uh, of course, a lot of Unfound uh, stuff to talk about as well. But I think those are going to be some of the highlights for the next, uh, the, the coming two hours uh, until we get to approximately approximately 11 p.m. Eastern time. But once again, I hope everybody is uh, doing well out there. Just uh, a few personal things that have gone on since 
You all saw me last here for a live show. Went to this, uh, went to Orlando. Uh, drove over there. Got up at like what was it? Five thirty in the morning. Uh, got over there. Played two rounds on Saturday, and I'd already decided that I wasn't going to play on Sunday because it was going to be raining. First round, really good. Uh, even though I made some mistakes. And second round, not as good, but really still had a chance to have a really nice round. Once again, made some mistakes, but not bad after not picking up a disc for two months. I had not, uh, I went out on uh, Friday and threw for about an hour. That's the first time I picked a disc up since like the first weekend of December. And I can certainly feel it now. <laughs> Having done that and then played all day Saturday, two rounds, so 36 baskets. Uh, certainly feeling a little tight and sore. Obviously, t- taking two months off was a little too long. But still, I showed up. Really can't complain uh, about how I played, given that I uh, haven't been practicing. But I threw the disc really well. The putting and some up shots, those mid-range shots were the, the, the problem. Throwing off the tee, no problem there. I, I was doing really well. Uh, pretty pleased for the most part. But it was good to be over there. Stayed in an Airbnb over there. Really nice little cozy place. And uh, ate it out back. I used a gift card that I got from my brother Michael uh, for uh, Christmas. And I so I used that at a local outback over there. So I got to eat for free while I was over there, which is always nice. And so that was this weekend. I have a big tournament this weekend, and I will be playing all three rounds right here in Pinellas County, although technically one of the rounds is over in Hillsboro. Uh, My buddy Cameron's, uh, like the largest, one of the largest tournaments that's ever ever held in Florida this uh, coming weekend called the GCCO, the Gulf Coast Charity Open. And I will be playing three different courses uh, over those three rounds. The first round will be right over here at my local course of Taylor. And then I'll be going down to the southern tip of Pinellas from uh, Maximo. And then on Sunday, I'll be going over to Hillsborough to play at Cypress. So like 400 players, like six or seven different courses. It's a huge event. Cameron runs it. He has a bunch of volunteers and everything. He uh, does a really nice job f- for that with that. And that is coming up. This weekend, and and if if I can play kind of as well as I did that first round at Orlando uh, this weekend, then I'll be really pleased. I'm not looking to win my division or anything, but if I can play somewhere in that level, uh, I have no really have no complaints. Other things going on. Um, I'm watching right now. I have Amazon Prime at least on uh, on the the streaming service, or what do they call it? Prime Video. And I'm in the process, uh, as I was waiting for 9 o'clock to get here tonight, I was watching the movie The Illusionist with Edward Norton and Paul Giamatti and Jessica Biel. And somehow I've never seen this movie before, but it got on my radar because of Paul Giamatti being up for an Academy Award, and I've seen some interviews with him on YouTube, and he's talked about that movie, and I was like, I've never seen that movie. And I've seen um, The Prestige, of course, which was a Christopher Nolan film that came out about the same time with Hugh Jackman and Christopher, uh, which is not, not Christopher Nolan. Christian Bale is in that. I've seen that many times. Love that movie. 
but I've never seen this movie, so I'm almost uh, to the end of it. I'll probably have to watch it before I go to bed tonight. It's like the last maybe 15, 20 minutes, but I'm watching that right now. That is um, uh, kind of gotten on my radar, and I have been watching a lot of interviews with these guys and women who are up for Academy Awards this year. Really, I watched that roundtable with Robert Downey Jr. and and Mark Ruffalo. Of course, we talked about his brother last week. And Paul Giamatti, all these guys got in a roundtable interviewing each other, talking about their careers. It's fascinating to me. So um, I'm in the process of watching that. I'm also started you – know, some of you I know wonder – you know, Ed, when you are not uh, doing Unfound, do you listen to any other podcasts or what do you do? And I've told you that I watch like chess videos and I watch airplane crash videos or anything about plane crashes, watch gun videos. And something, though, that I've been listening to over the past week, and in fact, I was listening to some when I drove over to Orlando and coming back, is that Rob Lowe, you know, the actor Rob Lowe, he does this podcast called Literally, and he, he interviews a bunch of famous people. Of course, he knows all of them, and they come on his podcast, and they just talk about the business and working together and everything. And what put this on my radar was Robert Downey Jr. within the last month uh, was on his podcast, and he interviewed him for about an hour because they went to high school together in Santa Monica. And so that's kind of what put the podcast – kind of on my radar, him doing these interviews. And so I've listened to a bunch of them now. I've listened to like him interviewing Dana Carvey. I've listened to him, LeVar Burton, Jennifer Aniston, um, uh, Kevin Dillon, uh, of course, uh, who was an entourage. So I've been listening to those, which have been um, Ralph Macchio. I listened to that. So that's kind of what I'm listening to. I'm kind of going back through. There's a lot of people that he's interviewed that really don't know them or really don't care what they say, you know, have any, nothing that they could say that I don't know, just not interested, but there's certainly quite a few people that he's interviewed that I am interested to hear what they have to say just about anything. So I'm kind of working my way like backwards through that. So if you want to check that out, uh, if that's something interests you, that's what I'm listening to right now uh, in the car. And that's interviews that Rob Lowe is doing with, famous people, actors, uh, athletes, you know, well-known personalities that he knows. So that's kind of what's been going on with me uh, since this time last week. Now that we're like 10 minutes into this, let's see who is here. Uh, whoops, didn't mean to do that. Let's see who is all in the chat room tonight. Karen, how are you? Charlie, how are you doing? Everything great to see you. Uh, Marty, look, Marty was like six minutes early. Oh, my goodness. Valerie, I will be answering your question tonight. And uh, yes, uh, Glenn uh, coming to us from Georgia. Jasmine, good to see Kathy. Uh, had a back and forth with Kathy uh, today. Good to see you, Kathy. Everything, uh, I'm, I'm wondering everything. When are you going to uh, change your hand to, handle to everything 2024? Of course, those of us um, that have been around here uh, since uh, for a while know that you used to be everything 2020. Uh, Cherie, thank you for moderating. I interviewed 
Uh, Shri actually got to, being that we used Zoom for my interview with her this weekend, she got to talk to me while I was over at my Airbnb, and she did a great interview. We had a great talk. So all of you will be hearing her interview in the upcoming weeks, so be looking for that. And uh, Hazel, uh, good to hear from you this week, this previous week. I got an email from you. Good to talk to you. And Marty says, got to love the panky letters. Yes, you do. And Suzanne, good to see you. And uh, Marty says he's pumped for the live show. I hope I can uh, fulfill your expectations, Marty. Um, <laughs> Hazel, it's uh, ex-mother-in-law's eighth, 80th birthday party. Gotcha, Hazel. You got your priorities. And Hazel, if you listen. Uh, Shree, so you know the movie... Uh, the Illusionist, do you think that's excellent? Okay, well, then we'll have something to talk about after I, I finish watching it. And both pretty good movies. Marty knows it as well. Hello, Paula. Good to see you. And so everybody is um, Macy. Hello, um, Lisa. Good to see you. What's going on? Hello, Lisa with the heavy metal signs. And I did change it, but it, it came came back, mate. Oh, all right. I'll see. Yeah, we want to see if you can change it to everything 2024. Uh, Everything. So there you go. So that's everybody that's in the chat tonight. Thank you all for making time. And uh, I hope that you enjoy uh, this live show tonight. I want to remind everybody, please, as you're watching tonight, please give this video a thumbs up or whatever you can do on Facebook or wherever else, wherever you are listening to this or watching. And that always helps us with the YouTube algorithms. Also, if you are listening to this on a podcast on the next day, February 6th, or um, after, give this podcast a nice review on iTunes or wherever else, five stars. Please go out of your way if you could to do that. If you'd like to contribute, if you really want to support the content that we provide here at Unfound, You can do this a variety of ways right there at the bottom of the screen, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast. And if you want to go to PayPal, paypal.me forward slash unfound podcast. If you are on, if you are on YouTube, just hit the join button below and you can contribute that way. And while you are watching the live show tonight, you can hit the, if you're once again, if you're on YouTube, you can hit the little button there at the below with the square with the dollar sign in it. That's the super chat button. And that's an easy way to monetarily contribute, support this uh, podcast as you are watching the live show in real time. So a lot of different ways that you can contribute and support it, uh, this podcast. And I really, really appreciate it. Facebook says, did you play in the NADGT tournament that finished up there in Florida? No, uh, I know about that. That's probably a little a bit above my uh, playing level. I know what it is. Um, but being I'm just essentially just an amateur hacker out there, uh, but I know what that is. No, I did not. I was playing at the Barnett Park uh, Championships in Orlando. There are two courses there, and it is nine years ago that I won my first tournament there. Now, the weird thing is that the one of the courses has been basically totally been redone since uh, the Parkside course is 
almost totally different. They had to redesign it and they put in a new like like uh runoff water area. They totally changed that course. It's not even close to the same course that when I won on that course nine years ago. The other course, what they call the North Side course, uh, it's about the same, but they now have shorter tees. And so when I played it nine years ago and won in my division, a lot of those baskets only had one tee. And so now we in the in the division that I played in this past weekend, we play from the shorter tee. So it's like like almost playing a different course, even though it's the same course. A lot of the baskets are still in the same locations, but some of the pads, the cement pads have been moved up. So I always try to play that tournament because it brings back uh, memories, good memories, even though, like I said, one of the courses has totally changed. But just to be there in the parking lot. And, of course, I saw a few people that I know. It seems more and more I play, more and more I don't run into a lot of people that I know. It's it's amazing when I started playing tournaments 12 years ago or something, how many of those players that I knew back then don't play tournaments anymore. They just move, they go on to other things. Maybe they have moved to a different state or maybe they uh, end up having kids and that takes up all their time. A lot of different reasons. A lot of guys get frustrated because they're not improving or whatever. But it's amazing how a lot of players, you know, I was even telling my dad, I was just going like through the list of all the players there this weekend. I only knew about 10% of them, maybe not even that. So um, that's how long I've been around here. All these other guys have moved on or whatever, and I'm still playing. Now, this coming weekend, being that's in Pinellas County, I'll know a lot of the players this weekend simply because this is where I live. But over there, I used to know a lot of players, even when I would go to Orlando, and that's not the situation anymore. It's funny how things change. But so I wanted to play over there. It always brings back good memories. When I won nine years ago there in February of 2015, I was totally unexpected. I'm not going to go into the whole story, but it was totally, totally unexpected. And the thing is, I want, I was, I led the entire, we played four rounds and I was leading in my division the entire time. After the first round, after the second round, after the third round, and then at the end, I was in front the whole way. I won by two strokes. After four rounds, I won by two strokes. It was crazy. So uh, it always brings back good memories. But, um, uh, did you, I did not, I uh, pretty much like anything Ed Norton does been a fan since rounders. Oh yeah. Love rounders. Uh, of course, primal fear. Of course he played in the one Hulk movie and yeah, he's, he's a pretty good actor. I just understand he's hard to work with. Uh, Valerie says, I really like Clint Eastwood. Well, who doesn't like Clint Eastwood as an actor, Valerie, but I agree with you. Big fan. Dirty Harry fan, uh, Kelly's Heroes fan. Yeah. Oh, come on. I qualified but just couldn't skip school to go. Uh, I, if I knew he, uh, who is this Facebook user who is a uh, – I don't – once again, for anybody that's on Facebook, the comments, I, I can't see who you are. So just uh, remember that. Uh, you qualified but just couldn't skip school to go. I'm sorry to hear that. Well, it's definitely grown there, but I only have played about two years. Okay. 
Right. Okay, Facebook user. Friday's episode was so sad. Yeah. I'm going to get into that uh, here in a bit, Lori, once I get to the poll for uh, Nancy's disappearance. In fact, let me pull that up right now so I'm prepared. It would be nice to be prepared, Ed. And let me see where this is. I just have to scroll down here a little bit. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Okay. All right. Yeah, very sad. But I want to publicly just once again uh, send a huge uh, thanks to Natalie and Consuelo for all the work they did putting that uh, together. Uh, Fight Club, I have to tell you, I'm not a big uh, Fight Club movie fan. I think my personal opinion is a little overrated. But that's me. Uh, American History X, I, I like that a lot more. Right, so we're now going to go through all Edward Norton's moves. Yes, Tara Roy, the disc golfer, once from Canadian, Texas, now live in Oklahoma City. Okay. All right, that's your art, Tara. Thank you uh, for tuning in. Fellow disc golfer, love it when disc golfers tune in. Thank you for making time tonight. Um, you lived in Canadian, Texas, now live in Oklahoma City. Okay, well, and I certainly can understand. Uh, we all know how then how you found Unfound, right? <laughs> if you're from Canadian, Texas. So, um, okay. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm a hacker. I mean, Tara, I'm what, uh, my rating was up to almost 920 and it's fallen to like 891, but I averaged over 900 this past weekend. So, uh, I, I'm just happy with that given that I haven't practiced, uh, for two months. Uh, both great films. Marty's saying, okay, talking about Edward Norton films. All right. I'm going to go just right first to the Jill. Dando uh, story because this really um, caught my eye and um, I've talked about this uh, murder. Of course, it's unsolved. It's in England. happened in London. And I think it happened in 1999. I don't have the date written down here. But if you have Netflix, it's certain. I think uh, obviously, if you're watching this live show, certainly you are um, into true crime and unsolved mysteries and those things. If you have Netflix, it's certainly worth your time to <clears throat> uh, watch the Jill Dando uh, three-part series on the, her murder and the investigation and the trial and all of that. And the reason it catches my attention is because we uh, covered the disappearance of Jody Husentrude, who was also a reporter. Obviously, she was not as well-known as Jill Dando was. Jill Dando was uh, nationally known, maybe even internationally known in, in Europe. And she uh, also hosted a, a true crime program uh, uh, where they covered kind of like uh, – John Walsh or Unsolved Mysteries or something like that. She would cover crimes that have been committed in England and, you know, send out the phone number. If you know anything, she would, she hosted a show like that 
And then it turns around and she's the one that gets murdered. And then she is featured on her own show. And unfortunately, 25 years later here now, um, her murder is still unsolved. So that's just a little bit uh, of the background in, in, in on, uh, on her. And if you want to know the circumstances of her murder, if this is just something you're hearing now, what happened was that she was out by herself for the day, driving around, just doing her regular shopping or whatever else. And by that time, she had become engaged uh, to a guy, and she was really not even staying at her apartment. Of course, they call it flat over there. Uh, her apartment, you know, she was living, they were engaged, they were living together, but she still had this uh, apartment. I think that she was trying to sell it, but she wasn't spending any time there anymore. And where she was living with him was nowhere near there. But something was going on. She was getting, she needed to get some paperwork and her agent or manager had to fax her something. And she had a fax machine at her place that she was trying to sell. And he, she said, just fax it to my uh, place and I'll drive over there. I'll get it. I'll take a look at it, sign it or whatever she would need to do. So other than that, she wasn't even planning to go to her apartment that day because she wasn't living there anymore. She was just, just kind of, um, I don't even know if there was any furniture in her, if she had all been cleared out. I don't know. She was still there. She still owned it, but she wasn't really living there anymore. So what happened was uh, she went to the mall. She went to a few different places. She ends up, she parks right down the street, not very far from the front door of her apartment, which was like right on the street, kind of like almost like when I lived in Madeira Beach, uh, kind of situation, like right up on the street where the front door was. She gets out of her car, and before she can get to the front door, I think the walk would have only taken her like 20 seconds or something. So I think they go through that in there. They, they, Of course, they've gone there. Of course, that's where her body was found. But a very short walk, like 20 seconds, 30 seconds, a very, very short. Somehow between her car and the front door, Somebody came up behind her, pushed her to the ground to, that her face was like into the ground, took a gun, and shot her from behind on the left side of her head. And the, I, I don't, I don't think I think the bullet. I don't. I think the bullet didn't even come out the other side. It, they said that the gun was held right up against the side of her head. I'm sorry if this is a little morbid for some of you, but. Um, and of course she was dead. No way, no way anybody can survive that. And really the neighbors really didn't hear any shots or anything, but they did hear some kind of scream. It was almost like, of course she was surprised by something, but they really didn't think anything of it. And there was a witness that said that, you know, somebody saw, saw a guy running down the street and, but didn't see the guy's face. And of course she was eventually found there. She was dead, and the investigation began. And uh, like I said, it's still unsolved 25 years later, and through this three-part series, and each episode's like an hour, about an hour long on Netflix, um, they really, I think, get into it uh, pretty well. Some guy was eventually charged. His name was Barry George, a very, very odd guy who they do interview. He was found um, hung jury 
the first time, very much like Steve Pankey. And then the second time around, or was it hung jury? Either way, eventually he was found guilty and went to jail. And but eventually, through the help of outsiders, including a guy from actually here in the United States, Barry George was let go. And he is now a free man. And in fact, he sued uh, the police department and a bunch of other people, and he actually won. And so he's still alive. He doesn't look like a very healthy guy, though. But um, – and they play the interviews that he did with police back at the time. He's an odd character. Didn't live far away from where Jill lived, maybe a, uh, maybe a, a half mile or something like that. But they focused in on him for some reason. Once again, you can watch it. But he claimed he didn't kill her, didn't know her. In fact, he says he didn't even know that she was a reporter, didn't even know allegedly about her show, nothing. So he is now a free man. It seems like he has no monetary worries now. I think he got a pretty big payout for um, for wrongful prosecution. And so this is, I guess, on paperwork-wise, this is still considered to be unsolved, but uh, in them interviewing a couple people involved with the prosecution of Barry George, you can tell the police think that he did it. And really here in 2024, it doesn't sound like that police uh, are doing anything. They just think that this guy's gotten away with it. They're not doing anything. But what was interesting to me here, here are just some facts about this. What's interesting to me, first of all, is that, you know, and I will give you my assessment on it. And, you know, we we have to think about this way. If we're going to think like about Jody Husentrude, who also it seems somebody was waiting for her. I, I think no matter what you think, somebody was waiting for Jill at this apartment of hers, even though she wasn't even going to that place very often. I think that's kind of important. I'll get it to it later. That unlike Jody, she was living in her apartment and somebody – abducted her when she came out something noteworthy to me is that uh she was shot from behind on the left side of the head which means the shooter was left-handed now i know some people in the discussion group i had told people that i was watching this and said well i'm right-handed but i shoot uh you know with my left hand but i have to and my brother brian is like that my brother brian is right-handed but he shoots guns with his left hand so i kind of know this but you have to realize how unusual that is you know very very rare kind of like me i'm athletically left-handed but i write neat with my right hand once again rare people the left-handed usually they're all left-handed people right-handed they're always they're always right-handed whereas they had pictures of barry like you said barry was a little bit of an odd guy and he actually had pictures of himself holding a gun but what the gun is in his right hand um, and the guns that he had, I don't even think were real guns. And we have to realize that in England, they have, uh, gun laws and it, you really have to be, uh, politically connected Let's say to own a handgun. It's not here like the United States. Um, whether you like that or not in England, gun laws and gun possession, everything much different, but still she was shot. So Barry George, uh, not left-handed even though she was certainly shot from behind on the left side with somebody using a gun with the left hand. Whereas, you know, if you're right-handed and you're coming up to somebody and somebody 
want to shoot somebody, you're going to push them down with your left hand and shoot them with your right hand. And I, and you should know, even though I'm athletically left-handed, I'm right-handed when I shoot guns. Now, what also sticks out to me is why did this person feel the need to push her down to the ground? Why not just walk up behind her while she's walking and just shoot her like that? Don't know. That's a very odd choice to push her to the ground. Would you not maybe risk that? Well, the last thing I want to do is getting to a wrestling match with her. So that's something to consider. And the big thing is that allegedly only her agent slash manager knew that she would be there. They had been talking. He said, yeah, I'll send you this paperwork. And she got the paperwork. So we're then to believe that somebody was just kind of hanging out there waiting for her, even though she didn't live there anymore. Was this person like showing up there day after day after day after day after day waiting for her? Maybe. And I'm going to come back to that because we have an example of that in the United States, a very, very, very well-known example that I will get to later. So there's a very short time. So somebody, wherever that person was, had to have been right there waiting for her. Because like I said, it was a very short span from her getting out of her car to where she was shot. Seconds. Seconds. You know, about the same distance probably from me when I parked my car downstairs to going over to the elevator about that distance only takes me like 15 seconds or something. If somebody were being after me, that have only that very small time to get to me. Let's hope that never happens. She had been rarely going to her place. Um, you should also know that they watched a lot of video. They had video of her. You know, video cameras, even in 1999, somewhat common. They used traffic cameras. They used cameras from the malls. They certainly, certainly determined um, that she was not being followed. She was not being followed in the mall. There were no cars following her when she was on the roads in London getting to her place. Whatever happened, this person was already at her building. Remember that. So I'm just going to see what everybody uh, is saying to this point. Like I said, there are some things about disappearances, and I have some examples that I'll be bringing up. Um, cruel intentions. Are we still talking movies? Shimpy. Hello, Shimpy. First time. Here's this. Who is this fine hunk? Uh, I don't know, Shimpy. I don't know who you're talking about. Uh, Lisa says, uh, sounds like an execution. Yes. You're right, Lisa. It does. We're going to come back to the end. Jill Dando, D-A-N-D-O. She has her own Wikipedia page if you want to check that out. Uh, Charlie, I haven't seen. Okay, Shimpy, Ferry. Uh, Amtrak going from Seattle to North Dakota. Oh, my gosh. I would like to ride Amtrak sometime. And you're using Wi-Fi on Amtrak, Ferry. That is fantastic. That has to be a first. Lisa says he pushed her down. He might have been worried about pushing her down with his right hand. Uh, you know, Lisa, I will tell you, as, a, as you know, I'm not here to push any sort of agenda or anything like that. You know, I don't do that. But I am a gun owner, and I go to the range. You don't want to try shooting people. If you're really, really looking to kill somebody, you only really, really want to try shooting people with your offhand. Even though I will tell you, as a gun, shot a few bullets over the last five years, quite a few. 
And even though I am partially left-handed athletically, I've shot left-handed just to see what it's like. It is so awkward. Even though I'm partially left-handed from playing disc golf and baseball, throwing and everything, I throw with my left hand. You put a gun in my left hand, who knows where that bullet's going to go? Who knows? So you're right. Maybe, but really what you're looking to do is get the shot right, not the pushing right. So I, I have to lean toward the idea that you're trying to kill her. You want to make sure you kill her. You want to use it with the hand that is the most comfortable to you, I think. Of course, I've never killed anybody. Uh, Bittersweet Symphony from the uh, Verve. Uh, what a coincidence, Facebook user says. Uh, we need some more thumbs up, uh, Sheree is telling me. More thumbs up, please. More thumbs up. Wondered if she was targeted a wrong place, wrong time. I'm going to get back to that. It's the best fairy says Amtrak is the best. Okay, uh, fairy. Now that's funny, but I would love some time uh, to take a train trip uh, across the United States. And in fact, I will tell you, I've even thought about uh, taking a trip, like one of my times to go see my dad, taking it from Florida to Pennsylvania. The thing is, I have to drive over to Orlando to do that. And that's a little bit inconvenient. And the Amtrak train doesn't go to Pittsburgh. So that makes it a little difficult as well. But I would certainly like to do that someday. I've only train I've ever ridden on, official train, was the Silverton in Silverton, Colorado, that goes between Durango, Colorado, and Silverton, Colorado in 1985. That's the only train that I've ever been on. And yes, that is a C.W. McCall song. Uh, here comes the Silverton up from Durango. Uh, here comes the uh, Silverton shoveling coal. Great song. You should check it out. Uh, the Silverton. Uh, don't, Ed really don't like comments, but we all agree he's a handsome guy. That's funny. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Valerie. You're very kind. Uh, but like you said, why did you push her? Hard to say. Screaming. Thank you for the contribution. You are fantastic. Thank you for your very generous screaming. Good to see you. I don't know where you've been, but good to see you tonight. Thank you. Thank you. Um, don't, uh, yes, Lori. So uh, carrying on, uh, continuing with Jill Dando. She'd been rarely going to her place. The police watched a lot of videos. She was not followed. Also, being that I'm into guns and things, and I've actually brought this up kind of when I've talked about the Zodiac Killer. Um, but she was shot not with ne necessarily an unusual caliber. It was a 38 caliber bullet, not unusual. Not now in 2024, the most common ammunition. Nine millimeter is certainly the most common handgun ammunition in the world now. It might even been that way in 1999. But what they were able to determine from the bullet and the casing, which means it was a semi-automatic gun, being that the casing was left behind, it was a bullet that was not made by a manufacturer. So it was not one, like if you ever go to Walmart or somewhere, they sell ammunition. It's not like a bullet that comes out of one of those boxes that's in one of those locked cabinets. This bullet looked to me more like almost homemade which is interesting, but maybe not a surprise given gun laws and ammunition laws in uh, England, but it was not a bullet that you just buy right out of, you would get right out of a 38 caliber 
uh, box. And you should also know that 38 caliber in semi-automatics, fairly rare. 38 caliber most of the time is equated with revolver guns, not semi-automatic guns. Just something to think about. So, of course, there were a lot of theories. Um, they looked at one guy who uh, was kind of an odd character first, cleared him, and, of course, then Barry George got on the radar. They prosecuted him. They convicted him, and then everything fell apart like five years later. Like I said, he's still alive. Very strange guy. I don't know. Um, does he have maybe have a learning disability or something like that? I'm not sure. But, um, you know, he didn't seem – he's put on a lot of weight since, uh, you know, since when he was charged and went to trial. And he, you can hear him breathing really heavily. Doesn't seem to be like in the greatest health. But he did the interview. He answered the question. So there were theories regarding Jill Dando's murder. One of them was that she was murdered due to the war in Bosnia. She had been uh, – this is when that was going on. You might remember uh, Slobodan Milosevic. All of that in the late 90s. Of course, in the United States, we remember it. And uh, she had done some reporting on that. And just a couple weeks before that, uh, a reporter in Eastern Europe had been murdered. Kind, not, not really murdered. And I think that, I think though that, that those guys were eventually caught. And it did have something to do with what was going on over there. And so the theory was, could this have also been with Jill being that she had done some reporting and, um, but we also have to remember on the other hand, of course, a lot of reporters did a lot of reporting about the war in Bosnia and, um, of course, Serbia and Bosnia, all what used to be Yugoslavia back in the 1980s. We have to remember a lot of reporters did a lot of reporting about that war in the late nineties and none of these other ones got executed, but that was something uh, that came up, police looked into it, didn't seem to go, didn't seem to go anywhere. Uh, something else that popped up on police radar, lover problems. Uh, the fact is that the guy that she was engaged to uh, had just recently gotten divorced. So could there be <clears throat> some kind of thing uh, going on there? And then and for United States purposes, maybe we might start thinking about Dan Markell. Remember what happened to him? Those two guys were waiting for him when he came home. But it seems to me that Dan Markell's daily routine was much more set in stone than Jill Dando's. But, which, of course, how many times have we mentioned Dan Markell's murder on this live show? Many, 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 especially recently. And those guys were waiting for him right in his driveway. They weren't hiding out or anything. <clears throat> as Dan Markell said, as he was pulling in while he was on the phone, somebody's standing in my driveway. They actually went in there, shot him through the glass. We know all what happened next. So maybe we have to be starting to think something like that. Did the, did the, the divorced woman, did somebody in her family, were they hanging out there knowing that Jill lived there and they were just going to be patient day after day after day after day, maybe waiting for her? Uh, to show up because, of course, maybe the ex-wife is bitter or something. Certainly possible. But then we come to this, and I have to tell you, and you know, and this is kind of where I am on Jody Hoosentruth's, 
disappearance uh, as well. As I, I've convinced myself after all these years that Jody, her disappearance was caused by some sort of person who was obsessed with her. Somebody who had seen her on TV, became obsessed, wanted to meet her. Maybe she'd even rebuffed this person. Maybe had run into her at a store or something, rebuffed her, and this guy wanted to make her his own. And so he's waiting for, of course, Jody also had a very set routine and it was very easy to figure out where she lived because her name was in the phone book, which, you know, of course, now these days we think that's crazy. So I have to admit when it comes to Jill Dando that this is kind of the way I lean toward this. And we have a (coughs) – This is just allergies. I'm not sick or anything. Um, This is the time. This is the worst time of year for me and my allergies. Late January into mid-February is the worst. Perfectly healthy. Don't worry about me. I think this was an obsessed fan. And what do I think of, first of all, when I think about obsessed fans killing people? I, of course, think of Mark David Chapman killing John Lennon. He was also waiting outside where Yoko and John lived in New York City. And in fact, on the very day that he ended up shooting John, earlier in the day, John had come out and um, Mark David Chapman had John Lennon's book that he had written and he got John Lennon or was it catch or something like that. He got John Lennon to sign a book on the very same day that Mark David Chapman killed John Lennon. And so to me, this is what Jill Dando's murder feels like. I reject the whole thing about her reporting on the Bosnia stuff because a lot of reporters did that. The ex-lover very well could be, but man, that, you know, usually that's more of a crime of passion and how many days in a row would somebody who was hired to kill her because she stole this, if she did, even did steal this guy away, you'd think maybe somebody would come to their sentence, you know, their senses. Whereas even with Dan Markell, those guys got it right the first time they did it. You know, what, let's just imagine a different scenario. Uh, if those guys have been hired to kill Dan Markell and Dan Markell doesn't come home that day. You know, they're waiting for him. He's not there. They leave. And then he does come home, and then he leaves before they come back, and they're like two ships passing in the night. How long before uh, they and the people who put them up to it are going to say, you know, maybe we need to rethink this. We want Dan Markell to be dead, but, man, we're not having a lot of success with this. This is why I have to admit with Jill Dando, I'm defaulting to some sort of obsessed fan much like in the vein of a Mark David Chapman. This is probably also, like I said, this is the way I default with Jody Hoosentrude as well. And you should know Caroline Lowe, who was, who's now, of course, an expert on Jody's disappearance. I've passed this long, along to her, and we've seriously talked many hours on the phone over the past four years uh, about this, thinking that this was a kind of a one-off type of thing. Uh, with Jody, and this is the reason that this person hasn't been caught. This person probably might have a criminal record, but nothing that when you look at it would say, yeah, this guy is um, very likely to kidnap a woman and kill her. 
maybe he has like, I don't know, maybe a drug conviction or something or some sort of disorderly conduct or, you know, something like that, but nothing that necessarily would say violent. Um, and I think the same way with Mark David Chapman, and this is the way I see a Jill Dando. Somebody who's obsessed with her, doesn't know where else to find her. And so this person just keeps showing up day after day after day, hoping that she's going to sh- show up. Why he wanted to kill her, we don't know what was in this person's head. He might have thought that she was like the Antichrist or something. We don't know. Don't know. But it very well could be, though, that maybe this uh, person did encounter Jill Dando somewhere and she blew him off. She, you know, he asked for an autograph. She was rude to him. Just hard to say. Hard to hard to say, but this is what I'm defaulting to on this. Uh, let's see what everybody is saying. Once again, screaming, thank you so much. You're very generous. Hello, Patty. What's going on? Um, yeah, screaming says Monday nights are tough uh, now. Sorry to hear that. Um, yeah, Lee must have had a silence. Her neighbors heard a scream, but not uh, <laughs> not a shot. That's okay, Lisa. You don't have to delete. That was just a typo by Lisa. Don't redelete that. That was a typo. Uh, Sheree. Um, well, I think Lisa, what happened is the gun was right up against her head. That in it of itself would be a silencer because all the sound you have to remember the sound that you hear from a gun is actually coming out of the barrel. Yes. The bullet comes out of the barrel, but the sound that you hear also comes out of the barrel. Well, the barrel's right up against her head. That would be a silencer just in and of itself. Have to remember that. And uh, uh, Shanna from Australia, love our Australian fans. Uh, thank you so much, Shanna. Good day, de- uh, Shauna. I'm sorry, Shauna. Good to see you tonight. Love our Australian unfound fans. Thank you so much. Um, I'm still, you know, we've covered a disappearance in New Zealand. Um, you know, we gotta we gotta do some uh, Australian disappearances, I think. And uh, there, were, I had one on tap at one time, but maybe I, you know, I need to get back in touch with that guy and see if we can make that happen. I, uh, Lisa Joe says obsessed. Yeah, that's true. Dan Markell seen it coming. Yeah, I'm f- from somewhat familiar with Jody's case being from the Midwest. All right, Lisa. Lori says sad day when John Lennon got shot. Yeah. Lisa says, if you can't, I can't have you. No one can. Very well could be that way, Lisa. You know, and um, look at, uh, we've had, you know, actresses here in the United States that have been killed by obsessed fans. Look, or ex-boyfriends. Look at the the girl who was the teenager in Poltergeist. Not the little blonde girl who, of course, very sadly died of a disease, but the, the, the young woman who played the teenager in the original Poltergeist movie, she was murdered by an obsessed guy. Um, if you all remember who was the guy, uh, I can't remember his name, but he was a very well plimped, uh, not Plimpton, some guy who was like a journalist or author, his daughter was killed. Um, due to an obsessed man with her, um, you know, these, you know, Dominic Dunn, thank you screaming. There we go. Dominic Dunn, right. 
She she was um, murdered. Thank you, Victoria. Thank you, Victoria. Victoria and screaming. Thank you. Yes. Uh, so there have been women, well-known people, where guys were waiting for them, guys stalking them, being, you know, and we know that these guys can be very, very patient. This, These are not crimes of passion. Although these guys might have a kind of passion, emotion, but it's not really like that. This is not the way we usually think about like a domestic violence incident that becomes a murder, crime of passion, emotions get high, guy does something, strangles a woman. That's not what we're talking about. This is a different kind of passion and emotion obsession. So I thought I thought that this um this three part series was pretty well done. I would have liked them for them to <coughs> at least acknowledge <coughs> at least acknowledge that the shooter uh, used his left hand. Of course we're just taking for granted that I guess it's a guy. But um and that would have been, I think, an inner more uh, a part that was worthwhile of examining, uh, knowing that the the gun was used by somebody using their left hand. They also talked about how they tried to track down a blue Range Rover that seemingly was fleeing the scene, and uh, of course, cops said that in leaving the scene, it <coughs> went through <laughs> man. <clears throat> Unfortunately, uh, with this allergy stuff, the more I talk, the more I want to cough. I'm just sitting here not doing anything. I don't cough, but and I do have I've taken Allegra and taken my uh, inhaler as well, so I'm about as good as I can get. Um, this blue Range Rover was fleeing the scene and uh, went through a couple stoplights, and but they never could track it down. I'm pretty sure if they could track this blue Range Rover down, they would catch you did it. Of course, Barry George was not, did not, I don't think he owned a car at all. So it is pr- pretty peculiar. You know, we have this blue Range Rover, and you'd think that that would stick out with just so there's tons of blue Range Rovers in London. Uh, whereas, of course, we have Range Rovers here in the United States. Of course, we usually associate anybody driving a Range Rover with somebody who's well to do. Don't have a lot of them here. Uh, they're they're not not as common here as they are in England. Of course, Range Rover is a I don't know who it's owned by now, but it was originally a British company. <coughs> so Blue Range Rovers, they tried to track them all down, and it seemed to go nowhere. But I have to still believe that all these years later, that's still the best lead in this. So I wanted to talk about that. Like I said, this is uh, a Netflix series. Uh, that I just happened to run across. I think you should check it out. I think it's worth your time. It's about three hours total. And I think that there are certainly uh, elements in the coverage of her murder that we can apply to the disappearances here on Unfound, especially these ones where, it, like Jody Hughes and Truths and maybe some others, where we may rule out that somebody was just waiting for somebody. Maybe we need to rethink that. Um Maybe we could even go something like Jason Jolkowski. It seems like this big mystery. Maybe somebody was waiting for him on the street that day. Did somebody know that he was going to be walking there or something? Maybe we we just have to maybe expand our minds just a little bit. 
Johnny Versace, right? Dane Slayer says Johnny Versace. That's right. And that guy was waiting outside. That's right. He was killed um, outside of his um, outside of his mansion down there in Miami. That's certainly true. Good one, Dane. Thank you for reminding me. Um, let's see here. Dom Christian, Christine Grammys. I, yeah. Uh, screaming sister of uh, Griffin Dunn, who stared in a start in after hours, American woman of London, two great flicks. Uh, Christina Grimmy, American idol. Right. That's right. Right. She was upset. She was shot by an obsessed fan. That's right. I mean, he was in that line waiting for her. Yeah, Rebecca Schaefer murdered by Psycho Stalker. That was also, I uh, couldn't find that uh, name. Dunn was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. Valerie named her son Lennon. Interesting. I have to admit, I'm not a big Beatles fan. Everybody now, I know that's going to sound crazy, even though I'm, you know, I'm into rock and roll and heavy metal. Not a Beatles fan at all. Not a Beatles fan. Uh, Johnny Versace, once again, uh, from The Voice. Maybe somebody was waiting for Barb Cotton. Very well could be, Lisa. Yeah, sad story, right. Mental health is such a real crisis. It certainly is. And it's only getting worse, in my opinion, Lisa. So that's kind of my insight into Jill Dando's uh, disappearance. The feeling that I get it's still solvable. The problem we have is it doesn't seem like the police are doing anything, which is, you know, um, that's pathetic. I have to admit that the police came out of that documentary not looking very good but it kind of just reinforces everything i've learned about american police uh in it that there's unfortunately they just can't disconnect their ego from what they're doing they just can't do it as much as they should, they don't. And to the point, even with Jill Dando, it's still unsolved. Maybe you should. St- I, I realize that you know you're you know you're you're wan wan about how the they let Barry George out and everything. Well, maybe you just need to work hard. How about that? There's a thought. How about do a better job? But it seems to me. The reason that you come away from the documentary, and I know how these things, you know, I can make a look any way they want without all the editing and everything. And I'm probably going to experience that later this year with the Steve Pankey series that's going to be coming out where I was interviewed in Colorado. Who knows what that's going to look like? But um, the police just come across as being very bitter. And they're like, um, we're taking our, you know, ball and going, we didn't get our way. So we're taking our ball and going home. That's kind of how they came out after three hours. Really, really pathetic, but not surprising. Uh, as I told you recently in talking to that FBI profiler or she's retired now, uh, she told me the conversation that she once had with a police officer she knew, and he admitted that they didn't want other, uh, outside agencies to come in because they were afraid these outside agencies was going to, they were going to make that department look bad for some murder or something. It's horrible. It's just horrible. So check it out. Uh, the, the documentary on the dis or the murder of Jill Dando.
Highly recommend it. So I'm going to uh, go to the question. I only had one question, uh, I think, sent to me before uh, the show started tonight. Let's make sure that I'm not missing any. Uh, Valerie, who is in, I think, the chat tonight, asked me the following question. Uh, Valerie's saying that she just got over COVID. It was, it, it was bad this time. First time was easy. Have you ever had it? And how was it for you? Did I ever have COVID? I don't know. I, I don't know if I, I've never been tested. Um, I will tell you, of course, I got sick like right, right after Christmas. Was that COVID? I have no idea. Could it have been COVID? I suppose. I suppose. And I might think of like maybe one other time since 2020 where I got up and wasn't feeling that hot maybe for 24 hours. I wouldn't say that there. I certainly wasn't as sick as I was at the end of 2023. Certainly not. But there might have been one time, I don't even know what year, 2021, 2022, maybe in there, where for a couple days I didn't feel the greatest. Maybe that was COVID. I just can't, I don't know because I've never been tested uh, to see if I have those antibodies. I did get back in what would it have been, 2021, was it? I did get uh, what was the Moderna um, two-time vaccine. I had no problems with that, but what I've heard, if you did the follow-up, that one was really could be uh, bad. Um, So I just don't know, Valerie. Uh. You know, of course, I've been out. We've all quite been out quite a bit since uh, restrictions were lifted and everything. So the odds are I have been um, subjected to it. I'm sure I've been around people who've had it, but I don't know. Um, odds are yes, that I have had it and it just didn't affect me that much. Or maybe that's what I had at the end of December. Uh But as I stated back when that episode didn't come out at the end of the year because I was so sick that I couldn't make it, for me to get some sort of flu-type thing where, um, you know, I'm congested and I have a sore throat and maybe I'm running a little bit of a fever and I'm just totally lethargic and everything else, I can't even tell you how rare that is in my life. When I say, I know a lot of people like to say, well, I don't get sick and they like to brag about that. And maybe it might not be true. I'm telling you, I don't get sick. (laughs) So for me to be like that at the end of the summer, I can't remember the last time I was that sick. Years and 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 years. I have allergies that you're hearing here. Like I'm allergic to dust. And stuff that's flying in the air right now here in Florida. And I have food allergies and I got FODMAP issues and all these other things. But when it comes to viruses and everything, my body's, I don't know if it's just good at fighting them off or whatever. But for a person, when you have allergies, what is that? It's an overactive immune system. So you have allergies, but also on the other hand, you may be protected from a lot of stuff. Uh, viruses and things that other people get. So I guess it goes one way or the other. So I just don't know, Valerie. Maybe one of these days I'll get around uh, to getting tested, but it's not on uh, my uh, agenda. 
Uh, agreed. Yeah. How many cases would not be called had they investigated in the melee? I know, Lisa. Selena. Yeah, Selena was Selena, the uh, singer known as Selena, uh, who was eventually played by Jennifer Lopez uh, in the movie. Uh, yeah, she was killed by her manager because the manager, uh, uh, Selena, was going to can her. And the manager shot her. Yeah. Dimebag Daryl from Pantera, right? Guy came up on stage, shot him right in front of everybody. I just can't imagine. Yeah, yeah. Lots of ego incompetence and a lot of unsolved cases. You said it, Victoria. Absolutely true. Rockford. Hey, there's Rockford. Rockford is in the chat. What's going on, Rockford? Agreed with your recommendation. Very good documentary on Dando. So you've seen it, Rockford. Excellent. Okay. Drove me nuts at times, but that's how it goes. Drove me nuts too. Drove me tuts too. Uh, Rockford, being that you have watched it, did you come a kind, of, kind of way with the same thing at the end with the police? Just a little pathetic. Just the look the like they were, you know, very immature. That's the way I got it. Lisa says, I've had COVID twice, barely noticed. I never reacted to the vaccines either. I got influenza A recently and I've never been so sick. Maybe that's what I had. I know when I was sick at the end of, uh, of course, Cherie, uh, finally we were able to do our interview, but Cherie, I uh, was sick for a couple weeks over there in Texas. Um, you know, for me, when I was sick, it was just an overall lethargy. And I would go, I would so quickly alternate at the end of December between being hot and being cold. I'd be sweating, I'd have the chills. I'd be swe- sweating, I'd have the chills. I'd have sweating back and forth. And the other thing was I couldn't sleep. I just my I just could not sleep. My my pulse rate would be like 90, 100, 110 beats a minute. No wonder I couldn't sleep. You know, it was all amped up. And I, you know, and I have no problem sleeping usually. Uh, does your master class include fair use in YouTube's copyright policy? Um oh, regarding regarding what? Uh, you mean my podcast class? I have to admit, I've kind of put that on the back burner uh, for now, uh, Vespasian, um, simply because I decided that needs to be reworked a little bit. And uh, I just probably don't have a lot of time. To, just decided that, um, you know, if I get start getting students in it, how many am I going to get? And am I am going to be able to manage it? Uh, but right now, there's nothing in there uh, regarding copyright uh, and fair use. I did not include that in there because, uh, you know, it's really, I really, am, I don't really do much of that because all the information I get are from the people who have uh, the information um, and really. That's something that, uh, you know, that's just not, uh, you know, just as a reporter, that's something you should know. Um, This is one of the reasons that as, as far as everybody knows, I don't like other people using my recordings for their own and it, it you know, for their own work. Um, So I don't know. Uh, The only copyright issues I've ever had was early on using Iron Maiden music. which I shouldn't have been doing, and I've been more than uh, forthright about that. But in the class, uh, How to Podcast Better Than Anyone, I, it is not included. 
and um, probably won't be. Uh, but like I said, on the back burner right for now. Kathy says, I've had six COVID shots on Moderna, except the last one in December. Only reactions. Okay. And I'm not a big Eagles fan either, uh, Valerie. Just not a lot crunch for me. Uh, voice back, coughing, sure. I was going to say maybe that's what I have two weeks and still not back to 100%. Never tested positive for COVID. Robert agreed that the police are bitter. On Jill Dando reminds me of people online who get angry at others for not supporting their theories. You have to let it go and be at least a little open-minded, right? Yep, they just sounded like, well, once again, people uh, should watch it and see what they think for themselves. Uh, Sheree, temperature regulation was a big thing for me uh, too. All right, so maybe you and I had the same thing, Sheree. I guess that's possible. I guess that's possible. Jasmine, they told me I had just pneumonia for two, but I knew I had COVID as well. I found out when I went for urgent care. All right, so people... Seems like a lot of people have gotten sick this winter. Maybe that's, I'm just saying that because I got sick. Maybe. (laughs) Could be. All right, moving on. I want to talk about uh, Amelia Earhart. Uh, This is a a big story now. And um, everybody knows who who she is. And, of course, she was trying to fly uh, around the world, and somewhere in the Western Pacific, uh, she never landed at Howland Island, never to be seen again. A lot of uh, theories have popped up. Did she get captured by the Japanese? Did she actually actually make it back to the United States, and did she live under new, some new name or something? Did she have to land on the water? Did she land on, on Gardner Island and she and Fred Noonan lived out their days there until they died from exposure or dehydration or whatever? Lots of different theories. Well, um, I'm going to read this article uh, to you. Uh, there was a group uh, that raised the money selling some real estate or something. Let me see if I can find the beginning of this article here um potential breakthrough in the 87 year old mystery surrounding amelia Earhart's disappearance almost vanished like the uh trailblazing aviator self while the adventurers who captured it investigated a 14 year old theory about what happened under ill-fated flight deep sea vision ceo tony romeo not tony romo tony romeo and his brother Lloyd released sonar images last week from their $11 million expedition in the Pacific Ocean. I guess it's nice you'd be able to just throw $11 million at it. Which depicted a hazy plane-shaped mass they believe may be Earhart's Lockheed Electra. The brothers who say they are planning another expedition this year or next, 2024-2025, uh, aired pictures of the wreckage. You can find it anywhere. Uh, that told the Daily Mail that the potentially vital images may have never been seen in the light of day due to hard drive issues they encountered during their 90-day voyage. The 16-person expedition, funded by the sale of Tony Romeo's commercial real estate properties, launched in September from Tarawa, Kiribati, a port near Holland Island. They scanned 5,200 miles of ocean floor using an underwater drone whose sonar data had to be retrieved, and this is where they get into the computer problems they had. We realized that we had something there, an area that's very sandy and flat. This immediately stuck out as something that was very likely an aircraft. 
The brothers said their team's potentially groundbreaking discoveries stemmed from the Dateline theory proposed by Liz Smith, a former NASA employee and amateur pilot, to explain the disappearance of Earhart and her navigator Fred Noonan during what was supposed to be a record-setting voyage around the world in 1937. The theory posits that as Earhart and Noonan soared across the international Dateline, I have to explain this, uh, for once again, I realize that people, I mean, some people out there don't know about this. The International Dateline is over in the Western Pacific Ocean. And so um, if you're going if you're going from Hawaii, and being that we have uh, at least one Australian list, viewer tonight, if you're going from Hawaii to Australia, you're actually going forward in time. Whereas if you're flying from Australia to Hawaii, you're, you're actually going back in time and you can experience the same entire day all over again. That's where the international dateline, and there are 24, of course it makes sense, 24 hours in a day. There are 24 time zones on the earth. And so uh, this is why like when New Year's, who celebrates, of course, New Year's first people like very in the Western, Western part, of uh, the west of the Pacific, like New Zealand, like Australia, those areas, like Japan, and and then eventually works its way the whole way around to the United States, Eastern Time Zone, Central Time Zone. So Amelia Earhart was flying from Asia, and technically, time-wise, not of course defying physics, but going back in time. So she was going to have to return over the international dateline to get to her next destination. And so what they're saying here is that it's very possible that they forgot to turn their calendar back one day. Now, why is this important? We have to understand how navigation uh, was done back there, which would ultimately set the pair off course by roughly 60 miles. It's going to be a little tough to explain, but the way, of course, with GPS and everything you have on planes now, it's totally different. But back then, before all of that, of course, this is 1939. Um, you know, you barely even have radar at that time, although radar was uh, being used to try to find her back at the time when she was supposed to be getting near to Highland Island. The way back then that, that flyers would determine where they are on the Earth if they were flying that particular direction is they would note where the sun, when the sun comes up on the horizon and where it comes up. And that's called, uh, what's it called? A sun line or something. So as soon as you see the sun peak over the horizon, of course, hopefully there's no clouds by noting the time on your watch of when it's coming on the horizon and where it is on the horizon you can de roughly determine where you are on the earth. It's fascinating. Of course, this goes way back to like the Egyptians and the Romans, the Greeks, and how they would look at the stars. And that's how they were able to align the pyramids, Stonehenge, all these ancient buildings, stone buildings. They were a lot able to align them with the stars because they would study the stars at night. This is the same kind of thing, the way they would navigate with planes up even into the 20th century. And what they're saying is if they forgot to turn their calendar back one day because of going off the dateline, 
that would throw off the calculations by 60 miles. So they would think that they were heading to Holland Island, but they would be off by just a little bit, which it may just be, you know, um, minutes of a degree. But when you're flying that distance, it ends up being quite a bit. So that's the best explanation I can give on this. So this is what the theory they were going on. So they were going to that area and scanning all of this, this particular area. And the theory led them to coordinates that were roughly three miles beneath the ocean surface and within 100 miles of Highland Island. Highland Island is where she was supposed to be landing. And there was a Coast Guard ship waiting for a Navy ship waiting for her there. And I'll get into that in a moment. And then this drone picked up this image on uh, the bottom of the ocean. Like I said, you can Google it. You can determine what you think. Romy admitted to the outlet that there's a chance that the sonar image isn't her plane, but rather the remains from any another downed aircraft or even a bizarre rock formation. A follow-up expedition will hopefully confirm their findings and help resolve the decades-long mystery. We need to get a camera on it, uh, which means actually sending a submersible with a real camera, not just pinging and getting radar images, but going down there with a camera like they did for the Titanic, like James Cameron, go down there to see what it actually is. So just to summarize, on July 2nd, 1937, Earhart and Noonan set off from Leh, Papua, Papua, New Guinea, with plans to refuel on Highland Island before continuing their journey to Honolulu and then their final destination of Oakland, California, which then would complete this complete round the world. She took off from Oakland, California. She went across the United States. She went across Europe, went across the Middle East, went across Asia. And it was when she left Asia and was trying to get back to Highland Island and Hawaii is when she went missing. The pair faced a strong headwind in Ley and were heading toward Holland when Earhart's radio transmissions eventually went silent. The U.S. Navy and Coast Guard conducted a 16-day search for the missing duo without success, and Earhart was officially declared dead on January 5th, 1939. Is this conceivable? The way I understand it, possibly. But... You should know uh, when it comes to Amelia Earhart, this is a disappearance that I've known about as a kid. Why? Because I watched that show In Search Of. Of course, on In Search Of, they went like off on the conspiracy theory direction and that she actually did make it back to the United States and changed her identity and all that. But I've known about Amelia Earhart's disappearance for as long as I could understand what was being said on TV. I've read a lot about it. Um... You know, watch some documentaries and things on uh, YouTube. Like I said, I've always been interested in disappearances. That's not crap just for the marketing of this podcast. Disappearances and me reading about them and being interested in it is in uh, a, lo- a lifelong thing is the first time I even heard about people going missing like a- Amelia Earhart. The issues that could be problems with this theory is that It's hard to believe that if she had to set that down out in the middle of the Pacific, that the plane would have stayed in one piece. Now, I know a lot of people thinking, well, look at Sully. Look how he landed that jet, uh, you know, uh, on the Hudson River. I mean, that plane absolutely stayed in one place. The, the, The engines didn't even come off of it. Totally different. Totally, absolutely, 100% different. Reasons are this. Uh, first of all, he didn't land on the ocean. He landed on a river. It makes a whole 
heck of a lot of difference. Rivers, for the most part, on normal circumstances, are pretty smooth. Pretty, pretty smooth. The Pacific Ocean, not as much. And of course, the big thing problem with trying to land on the ocean when you got waves is that that's no different than trying to land on a paved runway that's like hilly. It's kind of the same thing. Good luck trying to keep a plane in one piece doing that. We also have to remember this is a, you know, 1930-some plane. We have to remember it has propellers, not jet engines. So as soon as those propellers touch the water, they're going to bend, even to the point of ripping the engines off, maybe ripping a wing. That's much more likely to happen um, than maybe on a jet. Of course, jets have on, uh, engines on the wings as well. More likely her landing on the ocean would look like, if you've ever seen that video of that jet that got hijacked and you can find it on YouTube, it was like 25 years ago that this happened. These hijackers took over a plane and they just ran the plane jet until it ran out of gas. And it, it, and it landed or crashed right off like some, like on, uh, in the ocean off the east coast of Africa at some res- right off the beach at some resort place. And it's some like Boeing 767 or something. Look at how that jet hit the water. That's probably closer to what it would have looked like if Amelia Earhart had to ditch after running out of gas trying to find Highland Island. So the odds that the plane is sitting in basically one piece. Because if you look at the image, it kind of looks like the wings and kind of looks like the tail. It certainly could be down there. It wouldn't rust away, especially if it's way, way, way deep. But it would probably come apart to some extent. So to think that you could get that image on the, the bottom of something actually looking at like a plane, may, to me, sounds unlikely. Unless she really, really got lucky and the and the ocean was really, really smooth and she just put it in there so dang soft, maybe. The other problem I have, uh, being that they're looking at it's so far away, like they said, they're looking like 100 miles away from the island, is if you read accounts of, um, of sailors on the, the Navy of the Coast Guard who were there, who were trying to contact with them. And there was all sorts of communication problems. And I don't, again, it's too complicated to get into here. But people who were on the ship trying to con- communicate with her, the, the sound was so clear. They're at Holland Island waiting for her. They don't hear the plane. They don't see the plane, but her communications, she's coming through so clear. They knew that she was close and she was telling them, well, I'm flying up and down this one particular longitude up and down because that's how you do it. You get to a particular longitude and then you try to figure out if you're north or south of your location and you, you fly one way and then fly the other way to try to find the island. And she said, you know, I'm flying on this particular heading and I'm not seeing the island, but her, she had to have been within 10, 15 miles. That's, and, you know, and, and knowing, you know, how I can see jets out here flying in, flying from like the Western United States and, and, and everything, it's very easy to miss them on, on the horizon and not see them. In fact, during the day, 
jets are coming in here and you can't see them at night because they have the lights on. You can see them. But during the day, until they're really close, you can't see them, can't hear them. And so it's very possible that she was very, very close, giving these radio transmissions much closer than 100 miles. And that's what really the whole puzzling thing about her disappearance was that it sounded, according to the radio transmissions, they were so clear that she had to be like on top of them and she still didn't see where she needed to land. Of course, like I said, this has led to conspiracy theories that, you know, did she really land somewhere else or were these transmissions really real? I mean, if they could hear, if it was so clear, then why didn't she just land? So they thought she was very close, not 100 miles away. And she was getting, she said, I'm getting low on gas and everything. Would she have been able to fly 100 miles away from the island? It just doesn't seem likely. And then as is mentioned in um, in this article that I just read, we have to also um, put ourselves in that time frame of like 1939, what happened right after that world war II? what was one of the most, uh, where were a lot of the battles and things take place? Western Pacific, where were there all types of planes flying all over there at the time, the Pacific, what, all, all aircraft carriers on and on and on and on and on. And so we have to be open to the idea that this very well could be a plane, but it's not her plane. It could be a plane uh, that got lost during World War II. It could be a plane that might have been damaged or something like that, and they just pushed it. I mean, they used to do that. Just push the plane right off the aircraft carrier to make room and just pushed it into the ocean, and it went down to the bottom. This is very common. Uh, it could have been they would do that sometimes with planes that catch fire. And if they didn't think that they could put it out in time, they'd, they'd have something that they'd just push the plane over the edge of the aircraft carrier into the water. So these are all uh, reasons that right at this point, um, I'm doubtful. In addition to the fact that what kind of navigation air would it have to be that they know that they're flying from Asia to Holland Island. They know that they're crossing the international date line and they don't change their calendar, man. that just seems like, like a really, really, really elementary mistake that two people who manage to fly most of the way around the world, that even if they're tired and everything, they would surely remember that they're going back. Like I said, in time, not to go all uh, Marty McFly on all of you. So seems like an interesting theory could be true, but it just seems so unlikely. But so if you're following that as a guy, as you know, I'm not a, a pilot, but I've read so much about it, taken a great interest in it. I don't really go for any of the, the, the theories and everything certainly could believe that she ended up in the ocean somewhere that, I mean, there's a lot of water out there that would make the most sense. But the odds of that happening, not changing the date, and then these guys figuring that out and just happening, it just seems like Powerball odds to me. Now, you watch this time next year, they might find the plane. I hope they do. You know, my ego is not attached to this. But um, 
the way it's I'm reading it and the understanding that people, all the information has been put together over so many years seems unlikely. Now, kind of bizarre part of this is that St. Petersburg, Florida got wrapped up in this at the time as well. Um, there was a, a girl here in, uh, in the St. Petersburg, Florida area, of course, at the time, not many people here who claimed that she was hearing radio calls from Amelia Earhart after Amelia disappeared. You can look this up. This is true. And there are a lot of people who believe that these transmissions were really her. Now, how could radio transmissions get from the Western Pacific to St. Petersburg, Florida? I mean, we couldn't be any further or farther from the Western Pacific than right here. But it's weird how the you know radio waves bounce at night. Maybe some of you have experienced this. Uh, if anybody still listens to AM radio at night, you realize that you know the of course the um, you know being able to tune in. There's so many. The reason you have a hard time tuning into AM radio stations is night at night is because of the way amplitude amplitude modulation works. That those waves, those radio waves can travel a lot farther at night than during the day. It's a fascinating thing if you ever want to look into that and read about that like on Wikipedia or wherever. And so it's at least theoretically possible that if Amelia did land on some island and she was sending out messages, hey, we landed, we're here and everything, those messages, those, those, uh, even though it's just a radio out of a plane, it's at least theoretically possible that those radio waves could travel a long, long way. And you should know, I think a lot of people accept that uh, this girl who was listening on a radio and hearing this and jotting everything down, they pretty much take that it's true. So this would also fly in the face of the idea that um, Amelia and uh, Earhart and Fred Noonan landed on water and then the plane eventually sank because if they hit water, how long is that plane going to float? You wouldn't be able to send any radio signals or anything. So fascinating. It's just so fascinating. And like I said, um, if you know, you just have to stay away from the, the, the conspiracy theories that she was spying uh, on the Japanese by this trip and, and all that's that stuff's all crazy. And in fact, it should be known that when she went missing, even though we ended up being at war with Japan two years later, that Japan was actually very helpful at the time in trying to find her and doing what they could. So, and I believe that. So the United States and Japan weren't yet at war at that time, although Japan was expanding, going into China and all these, you know, the empire uh, of Japan and everything was greatly expanding, of course, ending up leading up to uh, Pearl Harbor. But at that time, uh, still getting along with them, and th that's kind of revisionist history. Because you really look into this, Japan seemed to want to help. They just didn't have anything really they could do. Um, the, Victoria says, Occam's razor for me died on impact in a water grave. They eventually found the Titanic, but that was a much bigger target to hit. That's right, Victoria. Um, and at least with the Titanic, they knew where to look, even though 
Uh, this is something I talked about in my found series. And if you'd like to check that out, that's uh, behind the paywall Patreon. Uh, I talked about, you know, this Titanic sinking and all of the searches that were done over many, many, many years trying to find it. Even though they still kind of knew where it was, they still had a hard time finding it. You know, it wasn't just like Bob Ballard just woke up in the mid-1980s and decided, oh, I know where it was and went and found it. Many people tried to find it, and it was pretty much knew where it was. Just had a hard time doing it. It's a very good point. Oh, wait. Question of classic rock bands. What's your So it depends what you mean by classic rock, Valerie. Um, of course, these days, rock uh, roll from the 1980s is considered classic rock. Um, but, you know, for as a Gen Xer born in 1970, when I think of classic rock, I more go back to the 1970s. And I am a, um, a huge Deep Purple fan. Uh, whether the first, you know, with uh, uh, whether it was Ian Gillen singing or with David Coverdale and Glenn Hughes. I'm going to see Glenn Hughes, by the way, in a couple weeks again. I'm a huge Deep Purple fan. I'm, of course, a huge Led Zeppelin fan. Like Black Sabbath, not as big a fan of them. I'm actually more of a fan of like Ozzy when he went off on his own in the 1980s. Um, but I'm not an Eagles fan. The problem I have with the Eagles is just not enough crunch. I like distortion and things. The same complaint I have like about Bruce Springsteen, not enough crunch, not enough distortion and, and all of that. I kind of need that. I'm a huge ACDC fan. We have to remember that ACDC got started in the early 1970s. Big ACDC fan. <clears throat> I guess if you really wanted to get technical, uh, Judas Priest. Got started in the um, early 70s as well, although they're kind of more thought of like an 80s band. That's when they, you know, got another thing coming, et cetera. I like the Rolling Stones. They're fine. Um, I have a poster of that, uh, of that, of the, there's the, the lips, Rolling Stones symbol in my, in my condo, but they're, they're fine. Big Who fan, but the Eagles, um, like I said, uh, Bruce Springsteen, you know, not a Bob Seger fan, not a Tom Petty fan, not a Steve Miller fan. Uh, just like I said, just not enough crunch and, um, might I even say nastiness to the music? I don't know how that makes me look, but that's, uh, kind of where I go with, we want to get back to like late sixties into late seventies music. That doesn't mean I can't like a, you know, journey. I, I, I like journey. They're fine. Um, you know, they got started in the seventies. Although Steve Perry came along with them a little later. Um, so that's, I, I guess that's what I would determine classic, uh, rock bands. Uh, those are the ones that, that, uh, come to mind. I guess I named all of them. <laughs> so, <laughs> <clears throat> so there you go. But my taste, you know, I'm not a Beatles fan, like I said, uh, and some of those more poppy-ish. Like, I'm not a big Eric Clapton fan either. I'm not a big Doors fan. And so that's kind of where I reside. Even when it comes to more re more music into the 1980s, I reside in an area 
of music when it comes to rock and roll. And I like, I can like disco. I like classical music. I can like newer, uh, you know, stuff as well. But when it comes to rock and roll and heavy metal music, I'm somewhere to the gr- to the harder side of journey, and I'm to the less heavier side of like Slayer and Pantera and bands like that. That is like my sweet spot right in there somewhere. So we could go anywhere from like Def Leppard the whole way to over to Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, and and um, um, Queensryche and Faith No More and Judas Priest and Ozzy and Tesla, who I just saw recently. You know, that's kind of where I am. Harder than Journey, less harder than Slayer, you know, right in there. Scorpions are fine too. Um, Very interesting. This case is special to me as I read about a little kid. It's kind of my gateway drug. Into the world of disappearances, I think that's true for a lot of people. Uh, Gen Xers, Rockford, certainly true. Rockford says, my grandfather was flying planes in this area. Totally serious. Great story. Pretty cool. Called a bunny likes Ozzy. Um, Bruce's mom recently passed away. Yes, I saw that, Lori. Lisa, you're very generous. Thank you for the Super Track contribution tonight. want to remind everybody once again, please give this live show a thumbs up tonight. Scorpions. They're good too. Um, certain stuff, you know, they kind of got really like, you know, winds of change and all that later in the in the nineteen eighties. Really not. Uh, I'm more of like a late seventies, early eighties Scorpions fan, probably Shelley. But yeah, they're good. Klaus Mine, great singer, like them, like them. Let's get to some unfound stuff. And being that I wanted to get to those uh, two points, uh, two big stories. I'd have to still do the Nancy Troche Garcia poll. I will tell you in the in the uh, discussion group, overwhelmingly people have decided that Nancy disappeared due to foul play. Uh, in the in the think tank last night, if you'd like to be a member of the think tank, it's uh, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast right there at the bottom of the screen. And you have to sign up at the $12 a month level or above. I think you really like it. really do. It's like a little club really talk deeply about these disappearances. It was a little more mixed, frankly, in the think tank as to what. It was certainly not overwhelmingly in any particular direction. Um, Might have taken off by herself, might be foul play. As for me, I've not finished the blog yet for this weekend, this past weekend, because I was uh, playing in the disc golf tournament. Um, So I still got about a thousand words to go. But I have to admit, I think I'm leaning toward a non-foul play uh, scenario. That's where I am on the poll. So some other things uh, that I need to mention. This Thursday, if you can believe it, we're coming up on another uh, Dr. Telesco show. (laughs) It seems like I was just on a show. I was (coughs) this Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern, on her channel, the Fischler College of Education and School of Criminal Justice channel. We're going to be talking about the disappearance and discovery of Crystal Morrison. And I'm not hyping this up when I say this, but I know this may be going to sound amazing to many of you. And I know that a lot of the other disappearances that we featured on Found have gotten a lot more attention. 
I really believe that Crystal Morrison's disappearance is the most important disappearance that Unfound has ever featured. I really mean that. And you know, when I say from a learning point of view and insight into disappearances, of course, all these people are equal. That's not what I mean. But a disappearance where you can learn so much from a disappearance that's that you know doesn't have a ton of facts, but still you can use it. You can learn being that it's solved helps so much. Like I said, I think from a learning point of view, it's the most important disappearance Unfound has ever featured. And that goes back to 2017. It really has formed the basis of a, just about everything that I've done since. I learned so much from that disappearance. And I'm going to get into that on Thursday night. The disappearance to Discovery of Crystal Morrison. If you're not familiar with that episode, I urge you to go. Uh, check it out. All the team interviews are done. Carrie, Emily, Eric, and Sheree. Sheree, uh, I talked to her on Saturday evening. That was a good talk. So I will start to release those uh, within the next few weeks. I haven't decided yet what I'm going to do. It may just be one at a time. Kind of surprising all of you. Uh, probably just going to go in the order that they were done. Carrie first, Emily second, then Eric third, and then Sheree last. So you can be looking uh, get to, for, the, uh, for those. You get to know these people. Of course, I talk about them so much. Get to know them a little bit. And, uh, of course, we did the last one like in 2020 or something. So it's been a few years. So we were due. And I hope you will enjoy those interviews. Uh, moving on. I guess let's do the panky letter now. What do you say? Uh, it's been sitting here staring me. In the face, like I said, as you can hear, maybe here, I'm, you can hear me opening it. This is not, I'm not just doing this for effect. I'm just opening this on camera right now. I've not looked at it. I have no idea what it's going to say. I will read it. Um, and that's uh, a very short one. Wow. Mm-hmm. Don't think I can make this was dated January uh, 26, 2024. So this was only written uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's telling me um, that he received a letter. I don't think I want to go. I can't go public. This. I'm sorry. I swear I can't. But he's telling me he received some a letter from somebody. It sounds like a production company. And he wants to communicate with Steve via email. Of course, as Steve is saying, uh, inmates are not allowed to have email, which I think makes all the sense in the world. And he's telling me, if you have his mailing address, please send it to me. It really is convenience. I'm going to have to look that up. I've never even heard of this person. This is not, I, this is not somebody associated with the TV show that I just worked on. Um, also, please let him know I want to talk with him, but email, but mail is my only option. Uh, okay, right. All right, so he wants me to reach out. I don't think about it. I have to figure out who this person is first. I don't want to, I'm not going to become uh, Steve Pankey's agent. 
So we'll just have to see. I don't know what I'm going to do about this, but that is uh, the letter. Uh, it's very short. It's uh, this. Um, I, don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do, do about that. So somebody's reaching out to him, wants to talk to him. You'd think that this person would know that inmates, maybe some inmates do have email, but uh, I, I just off the top of my head would think that email uh, inmates don't have email. Uh, let me see what's here. Miranda, I think it's in late October, early November, there was an update on someone that was supposed to come out. I think this month, I'm going to get to that in a second. Going to get to this a second, Miranda, just in a moment. Yeah. Uh, if nobody's uh, yet listened to the episode concerning Crystal Morrison, Sheree just put it in the in the chat, the link on YouTube. So if you want to check that out, maybe you can do that before I get together with Dr. Telesco on Thursday. MTC's hi, Ed. Did you see the Clash of the Titans tour in early 1990s? I did not. Uh, really, MT. Um, I have to be honest with you, MT, that uh, – Really did not start going to a lot of concerts until I moved to Florida. Um, when I lived in Las Vegas, I went to see Sting with my friend Shay. And I went to see Loverboy Night Ranger at Sunset Station with uh, another girl that I knew, woman that I knew. Other than that, I think those were the only concerts I went to in 13 and a half years. And really, uh, to be honest with you, my parents did not want me or allow me to go to concerts. I realize, you know, it wasn't back then um, appropriate <laughs> for me to like these bands that I'm naming now. So although I did go see Warrant in the summer of 1989, I went and saw Queensryche Went and saw Great White a couple times, but that wasn't really and gotten into college and everything. Really, my concert going days really didn't start until I moved here to Florida. So I did not, uh, although I have seen Megadeth, I did see Megadeth last year with the Misfits. I'm really not a Misfits fan. So I've seen Megadeth, but Motorhead, no, I wouldn't go see Slayer. I like Anthrax, they're okay. Allison Change without uh, their lead singer who's dead now, you know, I don't. Are they, do they tour now? I don't know. But I like some Alice in Chains songs. Uh, yes, they do have email. Okay, so called saying uh, inmates do have email. Well, I guess Steve Pankey does not. But thank you for letting me know about that. Going back to Miranda's uh, statement, you, you said in late October, early November, there was an update. Next Monday, pretty sure, pretty sure, that this update, uh, there's going to be a news conference, and it is big news. Big, big news. I've actually been invited to go to this news conference, but I will not be going because uh, it's not near where I live. Instead, I have enlisted, uh, I was invited by somebody to go who is going to play a prominent role in this news conference. And I had to tell this previous guest of Unfound that I'm not going to make it. But instead, I've enlisted my sister, Diane, to go in my place. Yes, uh, you've seen Charlie, not Charlie, but Charles in the chat. His mother, that's Charles's mother. I talked to her a few days ago. 
uh, because it would be much more convenient for her to go than I would to go because of where she lives. And I explained the whole situation to her. She does know uh, what this news conference is, is going to be about. Unfortunately, as far as publicly go, I can't say. But I could tell her just, to, just so she understood. But I wanted somebody from Unfound uh, or connected to me, personally connected to me, to go and represent the podcast because I did get invited. I didn't have to be invited. And I wanted to show my thanks for being invited by sending somebody who I trust, who can represent the podcast and myself very well. Of course, my sister would be a perfect person to do that. Certainly would have uh, asked one of my assistants to do that, but unfortunately, none of them live in, in the area either. So if it had been like where Nishri lives or Emily lives or Carrie lives or Eric lives, certainly would have asked if they could have done it. Probably not being that it's on a Monday and they all work and everything. But so that's going to be happening this coming Monday. I think that the news conference is going to be streamed live. And like I said, it's a very, very big deal. And that I think, are people going to be surprised by the revelation? I don't think so. It's a big deal, but it's a big deal, but I don't know how many people are, given the circumstances of the disappearance and everything, I don't think a ton of people are going to be surprised what has been determined. Now, remember, it's a disappearance that Unfound is covered. So, no, it's not Jennifer Kessie's serenity because uh, although I've talked about Jennifer Kessie a lot on this live show, she's never been featured on the podcast. I've never spoken to anybody in her family, anybody connected to anything. So, it's not that. I will also tell you that it's not everything, anything to do with Tom Brown, Mar Murray, Brian Schaefer, Jody Hoosterud, these other disappearances that are really, really well known that even people who don't really follow true crime that much know about their disappearances. It's none of those. But still, very, very big revelation. That's all I can, once again, I can't publicly, like I said, I've told my assistants so they know, and I've told my sister because she, you know, I, I asked her, can you go? And I have to explain the whole situation to her. So we'll see. We'll have something. Uh, it's, of course, going to be number one on the agenda next Monday night for obvious reasons. So um, it's not, so it's not about Jennifer Kessie. It's very exciting. Cherie says, I can't wait. Yes, it's a big deal. Uh, like I said, um, the revelation um, or the resolution to this uh, disappearance, like I said, I'm not – I will have to go back and see what I wrote when I wrote that blog for on Patreon for that disappearance. If you ever want to read the blogs, patreon.com forward slash unfound podcast for only $2 a month. I will have to go back and see what my thought was on this person's disappearance, but I think I got it right. Pretty sure. Pretty sure. Hoping that it's Dale Kerstetter, uh, MT. I, I can't say, uh, I can't give thumbs up or thumbs down on that, whether that's right or not. Uh, I would just, uh, of course, Charles, uh, were you aware? Did your mother let you uh, make, make you aware 
uh, that I asked her to do this. Please don't write. Uh, you can just answer yes or no if you know what I'm talking about. Once again, to everybody who doesn't know, if you ever see Charlie in the chat is my assistant, Cherie. Charles in the chat is my nephew, Charlie, my sister's son. Uh, and so, okay, so my sister did tell you. Okay. All right. We're just going to leave it at that. Okay. And uh, I think that uh, my sister, Diane, was even trying to get our brother, Michael, involved. But I think Michael's too busy. So, um my sister Diane may be going to this uh, by herself, but trust me, my sister's all all into this kind of stuff anyway. And you know, something that's going to be noteworthy, and it's a news conference, and she gets to go. And she's, in fact, uh, I've made plans, kind of plans for her to meet uh, the particular guest who was on for that episode. She's all up in it. She's all excited. So uh, I'm I'm excited for her as well. I knew I knew as soon as this came, you know, it's like. Well, if I can't go, pretty sure that this was, if Diane can make it work on her schedule, that she'd be very interested in going. Uh, and I was right. Sorry, I wasn't asking for an answer. That's, that's, all, that's all right. Um, yeah, Charlie said she's looking. Yeah, I you know. wasn't looking for an answer, hoping it's about curse that I, I can't say yes. I, I just don't want to give away too much, MT. You don't, no, it's fine. If people want to start guessing, they can, but. I'm not going to say anything. Uh, it's just I, that would ruin it. Uh, and that would be wrong of me. You know me, even though I'm a reporter and everything, I'm not looking. I don't look to scoop people by finding thing, things out and then revealing it before the proper time. I don't do that. Uh, one more thing uh, I want to cover, uh, being that I wanted to get to it last week, but I didn't. And because it's in the... Um, in the title for tonight's uh, YouTube show, and that's uh, Students Catch a Killer. When Tennessee sociology and history teacher Alex Campbell decided to have his students try to solve a series of cold case slangs in the spring of 2018, he never thought they'd end up identifying a suspect and landing a true crime podcast six years later. In fact, he told his group of students to be prepared to fail because top law enforcement officials had worked on this for years and they haven't gotten anywhere. All the Elizabethan high school students wanted was to identify one of the women and spread the word. My students have never, ever disappointed me. I've given them some very hard things to do. Campbell sent a phone interview, but when they know they're helping people, they work very hard. They never cease to impress. They never cease to impress me. Now the students are revealing their findings in a 10 episode podcast called murder 101 sharing just how they obtained their evidence in 2018, more than 20 youngsters set out to find the connection between a long trail of redheaded white women who'd been killed in the surrounding area and how they might be related. This is intense. Dubbed the redhead murders, the mystifying crimes involved up to 14 possible victims whose bodies were found abandoned along major highways in the South. It is believed some of these women were prostitutes. What Campbell's class originally set out to do was simple on paper. Try to see how many of these women could be connected to a singular killer. And in that one semester sociology class, they agreed six of the victims were connected to the same man who they called the Bible Belt Strangler. Those women have since been identified as Lisa Nichols, Michelle Inman, Tina McKenney Farmer, Elizabeth Lamont, 
and Tracy Walker. These are no women, not women who've ever been featured on Unfound because these were murders. These bodies were found. One from DeSolo County remains unidentified. As part of the class, Campbell brought in former FBI behavioral analysis, Scott Barker, who told the students that in order to confirm their connection, they had to identify four things, time frame, geography, modus operandi, and a signature. <clears throat> All six women were found between 1983 and 1985, Campbell said, and in nearby areas and states. Three were from Tennessee, and the others were from West Virginia, Kentucky, and Arkansas. They also all died from close-up conflict and were dumped on highways. One of the women were found was found nude and in a refrigerator, a sooner revealed in the podcast. Another was merely a skeleton when she was found by a driver after her body had been decayed, had decayed for months. A third was found over a guardrail, beaten and strangled and 10 to 12 weeks pregnant at the time. <coughs> Despite the women's real families not pushing the cops, decided that it was their job to keep fighting for justice. For eight to 14 to eight, 17 year olds to think that way just really impressed me about the maturity of my students. The parents were also on board. But the Elizabeth Tun High students did more than just learn about the real world. They had even identified Jerry Johns as a potential suspect. Johns died in prison in 2015 after being connected, convicted of strangling a prostitute in Knox County, Kentucky in 1985. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation later announced the late trucker as a suspect. Now, this is the part. I even have this highlighted <coughs> in what I wanted to read here. This goes back to what uh, I was talking about. Um, you know, you know, police have been a little bit on a police rant the last month. This kind of goes along with that. Now, remember everything that I read so far. Next part of this article. The Tennessee Bureau of Investigation later announced the late trucker as a suspect, but giving no credit to the students or podcast producer Shane Waters, which Campbell said he took, took it harder than they did. So these students identified this guy as a suspect. The Bureau of Investigation come forward, never gives any credit as to who actually came up with that name. As I stated back in the Irma McCurchion episode, families make a big mistake when they think that they and police are on the same team. They make a huge mistake. As we're staying with Jill Dando earlier in this podcast, the show tonight, those police are bitter because their guy got out of prison. And so what do they do in return? Ah, we're just going to throw this file back into the basement. We think we caught the right guy. Oh, well. People, are you starting to see what's going on? Tennessee Bureau of Investigation is, is investigating to see if Johns can be tied to other redheaded murders, although he does not have students actually working on the case at the moment, as the class is only taught once a year. Campbell thinks the students' work both from 2018 and last semester could lead to justice. I really do think we'll get justice for these women. The teacher who was taught at the school for 15, who was taught at the school for 15 years, told the, the post. So this all goes along uh, with I was what the FBI profiler said about police departments not wanting help because they're afraid they're gonna get shown up. What, uh, of course, David McCurchion said in my talk with him, very candid can conversation I had with him as part of the episode a couple weeks ago, 
goes along with Jill Dando and the police attitude to her murder that is still unsolved. And it goes along with what we're seeing here in the state of Tennessee, where these students do all this hard work. They identify somebody that seemingly sounds like a pretty good suspect. The police announce it, but then don't give credit to the people who did the work. Are you starting to see what's going on? It's, it's shameful. You know, it's, it, it is shameful. So I wanted to read that. Good job to those students. This is what happens when regular people, I guess regular teenagers, uh, get involved. You do not need to have a degree in criminal justice. You do not have to be a retired FBI profiler. As long as you use the IQ points that you were born with, you can make a difference. Remember that. Please remember that. Let's now go to this Friday's disappearance. And, uh, you know, of course, here in 2024, we've done a little bit of experimentation uh, so far with, of course, the Irma McCurchion episode where you got to hear a conversation that would usually just be, be behind the scenes. And then this past Friday, we had a bilingual episode for the first time ever. I'm wondering how many of you actually did check out the Spanish version just to hear Mary's voice and hear how emotional she was. Well, we get back to uh, regular programming this Friday with the disappearance of Kimberly Moreau, like the island of Dr. Moreau. Kimberly Moreau, M-O-R-E-A-U. She was a teenager uh, who went missing on May 10th of 1986 from J-J-I-Y-J-A-Y, Maine. And this is a disappearance that was recommended to me by a listener who had gotten to know her family. And so this person, uh, this listener kind of facilitated me first contacting Kim's father, who's still alive, and then me also talking to her to her two sisters. So the interview is both the father and the two sisters. They're all in the same uh, house at the time, recorded it. Really good interview. Went, goes about over two hours. Kimberly had broken up with her boyfriend. They were supposed to go to like a, a dance or a prom or something, but they had a fight, so they didn't end up going. Instead, she ended up hanging out with a friend of hers, a female friend, and these two older guys. They rode around all that day. That night, Kimberly... Got dropped off at home for for just a few minutes because she had to go to the bathroom. Her younger sister was there and saw Kimberly come in. Kimberly seemed fine. She wasn't drunk. She wasn't high. She was just a regular self. She came in, went to the bathroom. She left, never to be seen again. So that'll be this Friday, the disappearance of Kimberly Moreau, May 10th, 1986, from Jay Maine. I think this is our second disappearance uh from maine and her sisters and her father are the guests so that's all man we did a lot tonight jill down of course uh a lot of unfound stuff a lot of talk about jill dando a lot of talk about amelia Earhart. somehow i managed to get it all uh included tonight and i'm really proud of myself so that's all i got um, once again, before you leave, give this video a thumbs up. If you're listening to this as a podcast, give it a f- uh, five stars, whatever you got to do. And you will hear me on Friday for the disappearance of Kimberly Moreau. Thank you all for tuning in. 
Thank you for some good questions. We did a little get a little um, music talk in here tonight. Love that. Thank you for giving me uh, an unfound some of your time on this Monday night. And um, I hope you all have a great week. I'm going to try to have a great week. It'll start tomorrow morning. Uh, getting my car worked on. The front brakes are getting changed. So that's it. Uh, good night, everybody. And uh, Charlie, please say hi to the kids for me and keep your heads on swivels, people. Good night.